Good evening, welcome to another Star Trek The Original Series podcast. Tonight we have a double-header episode podcast. We, we're going to cover Who Mourns for Adonis and The Changeling. So, as, as usual, we have our wonderful co-hosts, Eric, Mr. Eric. Hi, Eric. Hello. And Rob. Greetings. Okay, so it, it, we're, I'm, as I said before, we're a little rusty. We've had a little bit of time off, but uh, we're jumping headlong into Season 2. Of course, we started that off with a mock time, but uh, a bunch of strong episodes coming through this one, and I'm going to start us out with Who Mourns. And as we all remember, this, this is the episode where the Enterprise is groped by a giant energy hand that, that reaches out. And or as D and D fans know it, Big B's groping hand. Oh, that's great! I'm so glad you uh, referenced Big B's. <laughs> that's wonderful. And really, that I—I uh, I, I guess it, it, it's pretty original. Though I still get a big chuckle out of it whenever I see the effect on on the show. And and of, of course, you know, Spock says it is not living tissue. <laughs> it's, so, so, um, have yeah. you seen the, the remastered version? Yeah, that's actually the one I watched. It, it is and a lot more convincing. Is it really? Okay. I mean, it's still a giant green glowing hand. Although, yeah. although I think in the original, it just appears in space, and on the remastered one, it actually comes off the planet. Hmm. Which hmm. which is a little bit better, since they're supposedly scanning, the, checking out the planet, and the, the hand comes up from the surface. Oh. Which, which they try and do on the... Uh, on the remastered version. So that's a little bit better. Okay. But, anyway, so I got a little bit ahead of myself there, but uh, this this episode, I, I have kind of, I'm a little bit mixed on. I'm, it, it's it's actually fairly good, although it, it definitely has some really campy things in it. I, I will get into that a bit later, but for me it's definitely a mixed bag, although it has some, some great concepts in it and you know, some interesting ideas. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, let Eric and Rob do a quick summary, and we'll, we'll kind of dive into the character stuff here. So Eric, what, what do you think? Uh, I'm kind of of two minds about this one. There are some really campy aspects to it. Um, the, the hand, of course, but um, the way Apollo is presented, it just, uh, I, I, I don't know, it, it comes across as, you know, high camp to me. But um, it does have some really interesting ideas in it that uh, the ancient Greek gods were actually aliens who have a uh, have powers that humans don't, particularly the ancient Greek humans. Um, but that being said, it's also kind of a hackneyed theme in science fiction as well. But you know, it's it's still interesting, especially the the idea of you know that uh, without worship um, they just fade into nothingness or um, retreat into their whatever it is, you know, their celestial um, Valhalla or whatever. I, I'm not sure how you'd ex uh, what it was never clearly explained in the episode, but um, that they fade away anyway. So, uh, I don't know. There, there are good and bad points to it. Okay, Rob. Well, um, 
I thought this was misogyny week on the Star Trek the original series podcast. No, no kidding. And um, so what bothered me the most about this episode, I think the, the campy elements, although they did at the beginning of the episode uh, make me laugh out loud, as I got into it, I didn't find that to be a problem, really. And in fact, I, I enjoyed the, the conflict between the Enterprise crew and Apollo. And I, what I especially liked about this episode, I'll start with the good things, um, was, well, a couple of things. First of all, I really like the way that um, the Enterprise crew defeats the alien force through the use of ingenuity and cleverness, and not because they are saved by some other superior force stepping in. Um, like in uh, uh, Squire of Gothos, for example. In, in contrast to Squire of Gothos, and Eric, I know you may have thoughts about that. But uh, I really I appreciated the fact that this was a, a battle of wits uh, that the Enterprise crew won. I also like the way that uh, Kirk put Spock in charge of the Enterprise, and then Spock immediately takes command very forcefully, uh, is issuing orders. Um, so we kind of get to see Spock's um, development as a, as a command officer, and maybe even a little bit of a contrast with the Spock that's portrayed in the Galileo 7. In this episode, Spock seems to be uh, maybe a little bit more aware of... Um, what it takes to motivate the crew. And you see that little bit with he and Uhura where uh, Uhura's complaining about how delicate the repairing the communications panel is, and he said, I can't think of anyone more qualified to do it. Um, that, that's a good example, Rob, yeah. Yeah, so I, I really like that aspect of it. There's also some good things in there with um, uh, Chekhov, developing Chekhov's character a little bit more, um, showing that he's, he, that he's very sharp, um, and also, Chekhov even gets the great, the greatest line of the episode, which is after Apollo says, "I, I am Apollo," uh, and Chekhov says, "And I am the Czar of all the Russias," <laughs> um, which is fantastic. So uh, there's, and there's also, I think this is a well-written episode in terms of uh, the language of the dialogue. Apollo's, Apollo's use of language is really stilted, and um, but you know, if you buy into the premise, it, it doesn't seem that bad. Um, and it, it even gets it even gets really poetic at certain points, which is something I really appreciate about the original series. Is they did get some good some good writers in there um, who, who really had a gift for um, turn of phrase. Now, okay, so <laughs> those are the good things. The the major stumbling block for me in this episode is um, with uh, Carolyn, and yeah, it, definitely. it's a it's a serious serious problem because. Um, here again, not for the first time, we we see a female member of the Enterprise crew, an officer, somebody who's, um, you know, clearly um, a prized member of the crew, going not so um, because of a strong, virile man, um, and completely ab- abandoning her loyalty to the Enterprise. And, well, Rob, I'd point out not to interrupt too much, but they actually set this up at the beginning of the episode when they're talking about Scotty being interested in her and that, oh, she'll leave the service and yeah, lose well, the office. I mean, it's, right. you're not kidding about that. I was going yeah. to get to that exactly, which yeah. is that they set it up really poorly, too, by by establishing, apparently, that women don't stay in Starfleet, but that they, as soon as they find a good man, they leave and retire, which is um, 
Yeah, they go uh, go home and raise children and all yeah, that stuff. Which, yeah, which is um, really betraying the, the sexism oh. of the era. And okay, now one so, thing. Let me... just one one really quick thing, and then I, and I think what struck me as as really um, a wrong a wrong note was the the fact that immediately after Scotty is apparently seriously injured, although. Apparently, Scotty can withstand a lot of uh, electric shocks before he's really seriously injured because that guy, that dude, is is resilient. But Scotty is serious, apparently seriously injured, and Apollo turns around and um, puts her and Carolyn into this really fancy outfit. And instead of you know expressing concern for Scotty, she says, "It's beautiful." Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like a, like a woman. She's unable to resist the the lure of a, a good wardrobe. So, that's all because, right, uh, Rob. That's because she's a mass of conflicting impulses. Yeah, that's <laughs> sorry. No, just no, to, no, you're getting I, ahead of us. I'm you're getting, getting ahead, ahead of in the next. Okay, I, I will leave that one alone. <laughs> now, uh, I do have one comment about the misogyny in this episode. Uh, as we've all observed in previous episodes, um, Star Trek was certainly not. Uh, immune to misogynistic um, aspects to several stories. But in this one, and it, it was definitely here, but in this episode you also have to remember that it was ultimately Carolyn who uh, betrayed Apollo in order to help uh, secure their release. She was the one who said, oh, you, no, I was just playing with you. I, I was just studying you and pissed him off massively and that was what brought him back and allowed them to uh, attack, well, uh, use up his, overtax himself attacking the Enterprise, and thereby, you know, they uh, destroyed, were able to destroy his, uh, his little temple. Painting. Eric, actually, to play devil's advocate, that if she had not, you know, latched onto him so fast and established all that, um, they, they wouldn't have gotten out of it. Right. Not that that really, you know, excuses it entirely, but it's 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 definitely. Uh, I mean, but, and it it does in fact redeem her character to a certain degree, at least. Ultimately, but but you still have to ask why in the first place she would be so vulnerable. Um, apparently, because she's a woman. I mean. Yeah. They don't really it explain is, anything again, else. It isn't really the first time that they portrayed women officers this way. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at Space Seed, and it's the yeah, same situation the as with... Yeah, that's the one that came to mind here, too. And it actually is uh, completely analogous, because the situation between Khan and uh, Lieutenant MacGyver's um, is almost exactly the same as between Carolyn Palamas and, and Apollo here, and in fact, their, their ultimate betrayal uh, allows Kirk and company to win in both episodes. But, I mean... As you pointed out, still, the the misogyny is thick and not, and it's it's distasteful. But as you also pointed out, Rob, you know this was 1967, and um, most people probably didn't think twice about most of it. No, I mean what what we're seeing is just a reflection of the, um, you know, of the times, the attitude toward women at that time. That's right, and. You know, give them credit for for having female officers at all. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, and men. huh? I'm sorry. 
Yeah, no, I mean, having female officers serving alongside men, as it, in many respects are equals, you know, um, right. for the time is quite progressive. Well, having a black female officer on the bridge, I mean, that is, for ni- you know, the ni- middle 1960s, that's absolutely astounding. But, I mean, we're, we're, di- we're digressing. It's Yep. <laughs> but it does make it hard, I think, watching it um, again to to buy into the, the story a little bit, I think. Um, you know, not completely, because I think the conflict between between Apollo and the crew, and I think that Apollo, like like you said, Eric, I think it, it's an interesting idea, and and the way that it plays out is is fun, and there's, um, you know, and the the battle of wits um, is, is also or, or or the battle of scenery chewing between yeah. <laughs> Apollo and Kirk. I, yeah. I just I there are a couple of well, first of all, I. This is really cliched and whatever, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway because it popped into my head when I watched this. Is the actor who played Apollo? Uh, he, he, you know, he, if out of costume, he could be the the um, stereotype of some Italian American guy delivering pizza in New York City. You know, it just that that's just what what I got. I I it's as I said, it, it's 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 a big stereotype, but that that's what I especially here's your pizza, you know. <laughs> but and and he, the other thing that I I just thought was hilarious when when he you know gets really big at the beginning of the episode and thunders out, "Welcome to Olympus, Captain Kirk." <laughs> yeah, that that just I thought that was hilarious, and of course it doesn't help that the setup. Or situation on this episode was was borrowed in a bit for for the very hilarious Futurama Star Trek satire, the the, the premise that you know they're gonna make him stay, stay here with this with this powerful creature and everything. I think kind of some of the model was used that way. Oh really? Which which episode are you talking of Futurama? Are you talking about? Oh, I don't remember what it's called, but it's the one where they're they're all being held on this planet by this, you know, ultimate Star Trek fan, and, you know, they've, oh. you, you've seen that, haven't you? I think so. Um, it, it's very, very good. It's it's probably one of my favorite uh, send-ups of the, of the original series ever, and they've got most of the original cast doing voices and things, things, oh. things like that, but they, they, they make them, you know, act out, you know, fan scripts and things like that, and, you know, it's it's very very funny, hmm. but the 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 idea is kind of like like well we've outgrown you and that kind of thing. <laughs> There's definitely a reference to this episode in there. I'm pretty sure. Uh, John, one question I had was you said that if uh, if Carolyn had not latched on to Apollo so quickly, um, that they never would have gotten away at all. Um, how do you figure? I'm not sure I understand what you're talking about there. Well, well, didn't her betrayal? Yeah, you know, wasn't that necessary to kind of knock him off track? Yeah. And so, if if that relationship wasn't even there, could could they could they have escaped? Okay, I see what you're that, saying. That's what I, I mean. It's there's, there's also the scene where they they have a plan to try to deplete his energy by just that's true, and she interferes, mocking him, and they all they all approach him, and then yep. she interferes. Yeah, and they're all laughing at him. Well, well and Apollo was about to kill Kirk. That, yeah, no, exactly. Maybe that maybe that wouldn't have worked. In fact, maybe it would have been yeah, tragic. That, I guess it's a speculation, but yeah, 
It, it, yeah. I I, th- I thought I really liked that scene actually, where they're all you know laughing their asses off, and, and just yeah. and just going after him like that. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, one um, point um, that I would like to introduce here is uh, there is a scene, or there, uh, yeah, there's one scene where um, Apollo is talking about being a god and something, and Kurt says. We find the one quite sufficient. Yeah, I was yes. going to bring that out. That's great. And uh, <laughs> that, that's really interesting because, I mean, Gene Ronberry is famously secular humanist. Yeah. I mean, he's totally uh, humanist. I, I can't remember if he was atheist or not, but um, he definitely was not uh, pro-religion. And uh, you, you don't see... There's very little uh, about religion or references to God in most of the series, but you you come to episodes like this or Bread and Circuses, and what what's your take on um, the references to God and such in episodes like this? Yes. When you know the secular humanism that you know characterized Gene Roddenberry came out through the the vast majority of the episodes or not no um i was i was surprised by that reference and i i didn't even catch it the first time and i thought is that did he say what i thought he said and i i don't remember uh, that either actually not I, mean, I i remember it recently but not before i don't i think it just kind of slipped through and uh it does it did strike me as i mean there I guess later on we'll get to episodes like Bread and Circuses where we have um, the Son some, of God, yeah, Son of God. Um, but it seems like a pretty rare thing for Star Trek, and also in a movie that, in a movie, sorry, in, a, in an episode that uh, is is basically um, all about, you know, how super superstition is, you know. Religion is superstition, and and we've something that we've grown beyond, uh, and also that what seems like what seems like a supernatural force is that can actually be explained by science. You know, um, like Apollo's hand is really just an energy field. Um, right. Then it, it's hard, how do you square the existence of God with that? And I say that without without expressing any my own opinion, but I but I. I think it is interesting that we see that reference to God within um, the context of this episode, which is about debunking of of religion. You know, and I think you know, and this came up when we discussed um, uh, the return of the Archons, which Eric pointed out um, can also be seen as a, a you know a religious criticism. allegory. Yeah, exactly. A religious allegory, criticism of um, at least unquestioning religious belief. Well, you know, um, what strikes me is that um, the exact quote uh, from from the episode is Apollo says, "I can give life or death. What else does mankind demand of its gods?" And Kirk replies, "Mankind has no need for gods. We find the one quite adequate." He's actually being contradictory, hip- hypocritical there, because he says, "Mankind has no need for gods." But we do have this one, and it's okay. Well, and, it's a better one. <laughs> yeah, and 
I don't know. It's uh, it's curious. I mean, it, it seems like he wants his cake and wants to eat it too. Because I mean, either mankind has outgrown gods and doesn't need them and it has debunked their powers, or it hasn't. And you know, which is it? Yeah, you know, and it's a good point. It almost makes me wonder whether there was something inserted at, at the last minute, and somebody noticed that uh, there was what it sounded like um, the implications of what Kirk was saying and that they needed to make a change to the script. Yeah, I and know. you know, that that's interesting because um, um, now that you mentioned that, Rob, I could easily see that be uh, being the work of a sensor, network sensors. Or, or pressure from... Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, well, I, another, I, you know, you know, I, I was. It occurred to me also is that, with that particular uh, um, little little reference there, is that the 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 point where, you know, that wouldn't that have been a prime uh, opportunity for Chekhov to throw in some little Soviet, uh, oh, we don't have religion type comment. Or we invented religion. Yeah, or or some derogatory remark about religion, you know. To, to paraphrase Jesse Ventura, uh, <laughs> being yeah. uh, you know a, a, a drug of the masses or some kind of you know it would have been. Did I mean, Jesse that, Ventura that, really say that? Oh, he's he's he supposedly said something like that. That about was Karl Marx. Well, he he obviously ripped it off, but he, he yeah. did say it at some point, and a lot of people got pissed at him for it. But uh, that that would have been a very probably too edgy for network television. I'm thinking, but still, it's like talk about your opportunity for you know some little Soviet jab to get in there yeah well another um, another little piece of trivia that uh, apparently got or something that was in the original script or script treatment uh, that apparently got axed by the censors was that at the very end um, McCoy reveals that uh, Carolyn Palamas is pregnant by Apollo yeah, you got to wonder about that because they there there's one scene where where she comes back and she you know, she's she looks like you know oh yeah got it on with Apollo <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> but and if you read the um, James Blish's novelization of that episode um, that is the way that uh, the episode concludes the story concludes um, now that now that would have been something the censors would not have allowed <laughs> no. Uh, in fact, they have hit, um, hit and run God there. Yeah, it's, uh, in fact, they have. Uh, it's it's funny because in on um, Memory Alpha, they have the um, deleted dialogue here, supposedly, and McCoy says um, something about having to turn his sick bay into a delivery room for a human child god. And my medical courses didn't include obstetrics for infant gods. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So. Anyway, I guess uh, given that most of the people who most, well, I, I don't know that anybody who would have known if it was the censors that cut that out and whether or not, you know, the reference to one god being sufficient was something that they demanded be put in there. I, I don't know if there's anybody yeah, who can even answer those questions anymore. Who knows, or, or, or the writer might have just anticipated some objection like that and just wrote it that way. Yeah, it just yeah, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, 
let's see. I, I was. I'll touch on the the remastered stuff as I as I mentioned before. It uh, the the big hand looks a lot more effective because it comes from the planet. Um, they also spruce up the effects when um, they fire on the temple and make that look a little more a uh, little more slick. So that that's kind of cool. This is this is this is an episode where I I don't think it really made a huge difference, but it certainly didn't didn't stick out or detract. Yeah. From it. But I mean there's also this interesting little area where um they they show some stock footage or something of a of a lake or a, you know a little forest area and then they cut to the sound stage where Apollo and the lieutenant are hanging out and it's quite obvious <laughs> that they're on a oh. sound stage. Oh yeah. Kind of par for the course there. Definitely. And there yeah. there are some uh Interest, interesting thing, like, you know, McCoy gets a little joke in there and says, to coin a phrase, fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I definitely uh, I like that. Um, and one other thing that um, I noticed about this episode, and um, the Changeling too, as a matter of fact, is that I'm not sure I like what they're what they do with Scotty's character in both of these episodes because yeah. I mean he comes across as a basically a, a hot headed testosterone yeah. moron. Yeah. I mean I mean it in you know in two success uh successive episodes or consecutive episodes he attacks you big know, alien power. <laughs> big alien powers that are, you know, uh, for somebody who's supposed to be a brilliant engineer, you would think that he would know that um, attacking either Apollo or Nomad, it's you pretty, know, trying pretty to attack hand to hand, is is gonna just get him killed. Well, especially because in in um, in this episode, he doesn't he do it at least twice, three times, he three does. times, and and he finally gets you know fried with the lightning bolt or whatever and, and that finally even that well, I think the, he'll, he'll he'll keep going back for more apparently yeah. last time he, he also calls Apollo a bloody Saracen <laughs> that's right it's bloodthirsty Saracen yeah <laughs> oh, I yeah he's he's just you know over the top and yeah I, I, I there are a couple of points in this episode where I definitely had I, I squirmed a little bit because I normally enjoy Scotty as a character so much yeah yeah, and I, I, I don't know why they. Well, I don't know. Maybe Ron Barry or somebody felt that they needed to have somebody acting like that. You know, I, I guess to do directly, but. Yeah, and he also, you know, especially at, at the point where, you know, she's obviously not very interested in him because she wanders off with 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 the dude in the toga and. Yeah, you know, it's like doesn't even look at him. It's like, well, okay, I just don't think, you know, she's just not into you, Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, that that's that's a bit embarrassing. Although he gets one line, I'm just noticing here. He says, "I would like to point out that we are quite capable of some wrath ourselves." Yeah, so like, that, that's that's pretty fun. That's a good that's a good comeback. And you know, followed by, of course, the the great quote, uh, "And you seem wise for a woman." <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that goes back to the yeah, side. yeah. I know. I just uh, just saw it there. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> well, uh, here's 
maybe a, a final question uh, to cap things off. At the very end, um, Kirk and McCoy are commiserating about having destroyed um, Apollo's temple and sent him off to oblivion. And Kirk says he wonders if it would have hurt them to gather a few sheep. laurels yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Laurel leaves, yeah. Laurel leaves. Uh, let's see. Uh, they gave us so much. The Greek civilization, civilization, much of our culture and philosophy came from a worship of those beings. In a way, they began the Golden Age. Would it have hurt us, I wonder, just to have gathered a few laurel leaves? And uh, my answer to that is, yeah, I think it would have. Um, I think that would have demeaned the human race and sent it backwards significantly. But um, that's well, you know, you got to wonder if he was coming from the. I, 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 I actually agree with you, Eric. I'm just trying to look at it the other direction here, saying, well, maybe if you know, okay, this had gone differently, we could have said, recognized that you, you know. We have a lot of respect for you, and you know, our ancestors worshipped you as a god, and and you contributed greatly to our civilization. Blah blah blah. You know, okay, here here's 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 a little bit of recognition. We'll give you a plaque or something. You know? <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll give you we'll we'll do a little ceremony and send you on your way. But you know, but you know, we're not we're not going to actually you know do any sheep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just a it's a strength of the writing, um, where we have these moments where. There is some self-doubt, you know, um, that that I just really appreciate. I, it kind of reminds me of the the end of um, this side of paradise, where Spock says, you know, that that was the only time in my life when I was truly happy, right. was when I was under the the influence of these plants. Um, mm -hmm. So dr and, drugs really do make you happy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's recognizing the um, the power of the other perspective. Just like also the end of um, Return of the Archons when um, you know Spock said never never have has the world seen the, the you know the society, kind of society that Landry provided or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, well, they're they're talking about you know how humans have uh, always wanted the kind of security and peace that Landry provided. Right, right. And but we never got it and Kurt says something about, you know, just lucky I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, and then and then you have to queue up the con quote where he says, We offer the world order <laughs> <laughs> So much like of a that. team of animals under one whip. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that that's interesting. I uh Yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely it's it's more of the same and yet it's 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 a lot of new twists, definitely. Well, you know, the um, I, I I don't know. I guess if you, if you boil down Star Trek episodes, it's man versus machine, man versus alien, man versus nature, man versus man. I don't know. Was, maybe that sums up most of them. But um, but you know the permutations on them. I mean, because I mean we mentioned just here, uh, Return of the Archons. Um, this side of paradise and who mourns for Adonis as you know ultimately they're they come down to the same basic question but it's presented dramatically differently and ultimately of course it comes down to Kirk convincing somebody 
in this case, the convincing the lieutenant that she'll be betraying humanity if she, you know, doesn't do this. Well, you know, Kirk's the everyman. He's the <laughs> he's a spokesman for, um, spokesman for humanity, and yeah. and of was... course he can't he can't talk Apollo down, so he he has to talk her. Oh, which uh, should be a nice transition to talking about the changeling. I I think so. Are we, are we done with uh, done with this one? I say. Okay, so the changeling. I I could just couldn't help but be drawn to the the parallels between this and since I haven't seen it recently. Um, to this and Star Trek the Motion Picture. Oh, yeah. Which it borrows from so, so heavily. Okay. And uh, overall, I, 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 I like this one quite a bit. It, it actually has a lot of great moments in it. And, I mean, there, there are a few things I, I have problems with, but overall I think it's very strong. And um, obviously was was interesting enough a concept for them to recycle into a movie. And, of course, you know, when you get into Star Trek the Motion Picture, you know, nobody turns around and says... You know, didn't we meet a probe like this, you know, years ago? And some <laughs> anyway, that 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 guess that just doesn't happen. But um, anyway, so I I uh, gonna let you guys get jump into this one, uh, Rob. What do you think? Okay, uh, I I wasn't a huge fan of this of this episode just because I felt like it. I think the 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 concept of the probe um, from Earth. Uh, meeting in the alien probe and, and turning into something different due to a, you know, sort of a, a programming, you know, error or, or malfunction or, or damage um, is sort of interesting. I don't find it especially compelling. I, I guess, wow, I guess I'm going to be hard on this episode. Um, <laughs> are there are a couple of things that where we see we're treading ground that we've tread before, but in a less, in a less compelling way for me. Um, and I just, just jumping out at not in it, not in, um, the order in which it happens in the episode, but, uh, Spock's mind meld with the, um, uh, with Nomad, uh, struck me as a little bit silly, especially when you compare it to, um, his mind meld with, uh, the, the creature in Devil in the Dark. The Horda. Um, the Horda. Spock's mind meld with, with a machine. Um, I mean, here we've established that this this is a machine that, that doesn't have any feelings. Um, and the, the mind meld is, is something that, you know, a big component of it is the, the fact that you share feelings with the, that you empathize with the other creature that you're melding with. Uh, it was a big part of the you know his his melding with the horda, you know, and, and screaming in pain and understanding in pain, the, the, you know what the other um, creature was going through. Um, he it did it just didn't uh, it didn't seem to work very well. Um, and so we have Spock kind of talking in a computer voice, you know. Um, so and then there was um, Kirk talking down the machine at the end. Oh, of course. Um, in a way, uh, you know, um, reminiscent of Return of the Archons, uh, but but almost too clever by half, you know. Um, Spock compliments Kirk on his <laughs> on the logic that he uses to defeat the Nomad, um, <laughs> but it 
it um you know it i don't know it it um it somehow is not as satisfying as um some of the other instances of this particular trick that we see uh in other episodes and then finally um we have um lieutenant uhura getting her mind wiped which is just ridiculous to me yeah i've always thought that was and, that was yeah, that was nuts it's, it's was... always, yeah i'm not yeah exactly i remember even when i was a kid watching this episode thinking oh that's not plausible um that she would have her mind wiped and then she's she back would... on duty in a week Right, then she's back on duty in a week, and she's been returned to yeah. she's returned to the person that she was before. Oh, but but he but, but Nomad didn't uh, get rid of her knowledge of uh, the Swahili language. No, no, it's, <laughs> you know, there's uh, so many. Yeah, I, I don't think we need to explore this. One. Holes, it, it falls like, apart so easily. Why? Why even go there? What was the point of going there? Um, I, I don't understand why they chose to to do that. Um, it would seem silly and stupid. So I mean, maybe there's a defense of it somewhere that, uh, or Eric, maybe you have a. Uh, no, I've always thought that that was ridiculous, as well. But even so, um, like John, I I like this episode. There, it has much to redeem it, in my opinion. Um, yes, Kurt, you know this, you know he he talks a computer to death just like he did in Return of the Archons and I'm and the Ultimate Computer. But it, 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 he does it so cleverly and uh, convincingly that you know I still enjoy watching him do it, and um, uh, just I mean apparently in, in contrast to your opinion, Rob, I I think the whole concept of an Earth probe being uh, merged with uh, an alien probe of some kind. Uh, I, I think that's a very imaginative and uh, compelling story element. It could be that it's, it's soured, soured a little bit by the Star Trek The Motion Picture. Um, that well, I don't know. We, ha- we really have to consider this, um, this episode um, by itself on its own merits. I mean... Well, that's what I'm saying, is that my, my opinion of that of that storyline could be, or that that idea could be soured by. By the way, it's, yeah, it's, it's been worn out too much on the movie, you know. Um, it, but anyway, continue, Eric. Um, well, no, I was just uh, that was kind of my um, take on it in a nutshell. Um, as, as I said when we were talking about who mourns for Adonis. Um, uh, I don't appreciate seeing Scotty portrayed as a moron. I mean, he plus in, the, in this, you know, the the audiences in the '60s saw two back-to-back episodes where he takes on these really powerful alien, stupidly takes on these alien powers, and and gets you know thrown across the room or whatever. <laughs> well, in this case, he gets or killed, killed outright. Yeah, he was killed outright. But but it it, it I I I saw that and I go. Oh, this is familiar. This happened last time. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, um, uh, even though, and, and I don't know why they changed the uh, the order in which these were aired because they do this once again, uh, so that the two Scotty acting stupidly episodes are back to back. Whereas 
in production order, the Changeling is four episodes past after Who Mourns for Adonis. Right, and that, that maybe that's not really being fair to the you know to the production people, obviously, and that I don't as we talked before, um, it was probably most likely the network that chose the order they were aired. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's fine. It just uh, it's unfortunate though that it happens that way in the in the series run. Yeah. Yeah. I and, and to get to get back to another c- couple of things that I, I found, I I definitely Eric, I'm more with you, and I find the the story a little more compelling. I, I think it's it's interesting science fiction, and I also find that the 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 twisting of a Nomad's uh, mission. Is kind of, is almost a cosmic joke, in a way, a really dark one. That, yeah. You know the 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 sterilizing, you know, and all that stuff. It's 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 almost funny actually. Yeah. And the the but some of the things we already talked about Uhura's business and that that's that's just awful. But also the I, I love the fact that um, there are a couple of things they they've already been nearly destroyed by this this very powerful probe that can fire these energy weapons at them. And, and the Earth has almost been destroyed as well. I mean, just right? No, no. no that you're thinking of the movie. No, no. At the no. end, no, they're not in Earth. No, but it's they're just headed toward Earth. They're, they're going. Yeah, he, he, but he's already wiped out life on other, you know, billions of lives. I think they say. Yeah, it's um, when when the episode opens, they're they're um, they're going to the Malurian star system uh, to investigate a distress call, and they get there. And uh, I'm just looking at the synopsis here. It says there should be four billion people in that system, but there's no sign of life. Right. And so, Nomad has wiped out all life in this star system. That you know, yeah, it's it, it's it's obviously a very very powerful device, and it comes on board, and they're following it around. And Kirk has a couple of red guy security guards, you know, guard it, or and put it in this isolate or this the cell and does he really think that nomad is not gonna have any problem getting through this the, this <laughs> little security screen and, and, and that's a good point <laughs> <laughs> and plus and okay the first time he busts through and he he, he incinerates the the red guys and yeah well that, that happens and and then two more of them pick up the duty and they fire at him and they get fried it's just it's just wouldn't wouldn't they have ordered them to it's like if he if he moves just you know maybe watch where he goes and report in and, and not fire on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just one, it's, I guess, red guy logic, but it, it just is like exactly the same thing happens to, to those two sets of security guards. Yeah. And, and then of course, you know, if I'm going to get back on the incompetent crew business, then, then this Mr. Singh in auxiliary control, who's supposed to watch him and he just wanders off. <laughs> And, and well, no you know, maybe Mister kinda... Singh was being smart. I mean, in that—that's that, true. He didn't get killed. Yeah, <laughs> so... yeah. Well, and I, th- I don't know that Singh thought he was supposed to guard Nomad. That's just a see to his needs. That's right. His needs, whatever those might be. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, so th- those are the big things I-, I found a little ridiculous about. And of course, the way Kirk, at the very end, you know, Nomad's obviously about to. Pull a Hal nine thousand and, and 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 go go under and all that stuff, and he he keeps pushing it and he's sitting there in the transporter room. It's like I'm gonna stick one more dig in just to be sure. And, and of course, like this thing could blow up any second. 
And yeah. it, it's 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 kind of dramatic, but at some point you just like like oh come on. <laughs> yep. But and, and Rob, I'm actually with you on the mind meld part. I I, I found it pretty ridiculous. Um, All right, so, now why why is that? Why do you find I, that? Ridiculous? Well, well I, I find it ridiculous because if this thing is actually a machine, why why if Spock had you know he could scan it and interrogate it and everything, why why does it need he need to mind meld with a computer? to get get this this piece of information i mean if it's in the memory bank it's there if it's not it's not right well my take on that is that it is so highly sophisticated that uh well isn't this uh, the episode where he says it almost qualifies as a life form yeah he does say that and that being the case uh in order to communicate with it I mean, the, its artificial intelligence is so highly advanced that he can connect to it with a mind meld like he can, uh, you know, an organic being. And, you know, as far as him speaking with the computerized voice... Well, I, don't actually have a, I don't actually have as big of a problem with that because I, I think that's just out of necessity to portray that. You know, it's like, well, he's not going to, you know, act like Mother Horda or something, and, and what, what's he going to do? He's talking to Nomad, the, the, the machine, the logical machine. So, yeah, he's going to do kind of that Conehead's voice. You know, well, that, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's easy to, to make fun of that, but I actually didn't have a big problem with that part. No, and and I don't either, because uh, one of the things about when uh, what they've established with regards to, uh, you know, the nature of, of a mind meld is that he actually, I mean, doesn't exactly become whatever it is or whoever it is that he's mind-melding with, but it is really a, you know, their their minds sort of mesh. And so taking on the characteristics, the voice, the vocal patterns, whatever, of whoever or whatever it is he's mind-melding with actually makes sense. Well, yeah, I guess that's... Uh... Yeah, that's or am I being so. nitpicky? No, not necessarily. I, I just at the time it just seemed like, well, okay, it's it, it's a way to to do another mind meld scene. Yeah. But yeah, I, I you know it depends on how far you want to take the you know in, intelligent life form who happens to look like a giant floating tin can with antennas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you no, know, I do have to say uh, just to switch a little bit. I I was impressed by the way, considering the limited budget, the way that they. Um, did the camera work so that it appeared that the nomad was moving, was floating around? Oh, I, I liked that I thought, actually. I thought that was well done. And, yeah, and, and the the point where they they kind of had no bad cam, where you know they they obviously yeah. put the the you know the, the the camera down close to the the model as it moved around. It had this good menacing, very creepy look to it. Yeah, I thought that was very effective. It's something I had forgotten all about, as as it's following the the guys around the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that that was great. Definitely. So, um, hmm. I don't know. Have we exhausted everything for this one already? Well, I think. Oh, well, well. As long as we brought it up, you know, why don't we get into a little bit? How uh, is the way they handled this concept and this episode better? Here or was it better done in the motion picture where they you know expanded out to be this you know 
this probe, Earth probe hybrid being that is look, looking for the ultimate question of the meaning of life, basically, as opposed to just carrying out this diabolical, flawed mission. Well, I mean, the the basic premise, I mean, of you know, an Earth probe that merges with an alien, uh, a highly advanced alien artificial intelligence or machine intelligence, however you want to put it. Uh, yeah, those are those are the two. Um, I mean, that that's where the uh, the storylines uh, cross over. But I mean, other than that, really, the motion picture deals with it the, very differently. I mean, it's a fundamentally different story. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's interesting the, the the point where they they you know diverge. Well, and I mean when. Because I was just trying to think, Kirk never in the motion picture. Kirk never um, actually uh, talks down or out talks Vijay. I, I guess he does. Yeah, he kind of does actually. Yeah, because he he bargains with him. You know, Vijay wants the information, and Kirk says, um, "Release Earth first. You know, they mm-hmm. they end up kind of. Well, that, that, that's, of course, another example of, of a big flaw with the motion picture, as we've talked about before, the fact that you know, the, the, our, our beloved major characters are, are kind of uh, sidelined. And even Kirk's big talking, talking down V'ger is, is, is a bit peripheral to, to the big climax. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a bit, you know, it kind of moves the story ahead a little bit so they can you know, make contact, but it doesn't actually... It's not like it really changes Vija's mind or anything like that. That's true. Yeah, but well, I, I, don't, I don't want to get too sidetracked on, on the movie too much because, you know, like, that's another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, what do you think? I, I think that the um, the way that, that the premise is handled here is more interesting and, com- again, I say compelling. And, you know, with, well, it's certainly um, more dramatic. Yeah, I think it's more dramatic to have this um, virtually unstoppable... Um, force, you know, that that has this mission to destroy everything, um, you know, by like John said, by virtue of this sort of a cosmic joke, uh, you know, and um, compared to the way that, you know, in in sort of a, my my dim memory of the motion picture, um, uh, really um, less less dramatic, yeah. Um, less of a worthy opponent in a way. Um, that's my thoughts. I, 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 the other thing that occurred to me on this one is at the very end of the the, the outgoing little, you know, there's actually a joke I believe, and and they're talking about you know, Kirk, you know, oh my son, the doctor, you know, that that kind of thing. It, it's interesting that that they have such a lighthearted little exchange there, when really they've just had a a, a narrow narrow escape from a, a machine entity that has committed mass genocide and was know, going to was and was going about to, to destroy the earth and I, I, it's really interesting that, that they're killed, so light about it at the end yeah, killed five of their of his crewmen yeah, you know, wiped, wiped out, out of course apparently that's going to be just fine but. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's a weird ending, I mean it's a, a doesn't seem to fit. It's like they have they, they had to tack on this 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 coda that 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 
that has little, little jokes, and it's like, well, everything's okay now, on to the next one. <laughs> well, and, jo- and joking about Nomad, my son, the doctor. Yeah, I mean, you, you sort of laugh at it, but in context, it, it's like, eww. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, it's like, are you crazy? <laughs> so, yeah, oh, I, I, find, I, find, I find the end, it just just odd. <laughs> I mean, and there are other episodes where they've had, you know, fairly heavy things going on, and they, they don't resort to doing that. They have much more... Even even the alternative factor, with its, you know, what, how would it be, you know, that kind of thing, at least they're serious about it. I mean, well, this, is, this I, is... What's that? I was just going to say, um, similarly, in uh, the Doomsday Machine, for instance, they had, uh, when Kirk and Spock are talking after they finally destroyed the planet killer, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's uh, the the closing is um, Spock says, "I can't help but wonder if there are any more of those machines out there somewhere." And yeah, it's Kirk an says ominous, like, ominous ending. Yeah, and says, "I certainly hope not. I found the one quite sufficient." And you know, it's a little bit. I mean, he's a little bit joking, but it's you know, he it's it's pain. appropriately he's, though. It's, yeah. it's sardonic and yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that's so. It's not like they never got that aspect of it right. It's just in this one, it, it it just it just comes off really off. So that's interesting. Or or the the like, well, what if uh, this whoever produced the the alien probe, the the Tan Ru thing, you know, what if what if there are some more out there? <laughs> well, I mean, but actually, I, when you when you think about it, that's highly unlikely because. Yeah, this is a pretty just a chance situation. merging of the you know nomad. And... Yeah, yeah. That that's very true. So uh, that that reminds me of uh, looking forward to watching the Doomsday Machine when we get to it in a little bit. Is that one next? No, I don't think it is, but it, it's in the next you know half dozen, I think. Cool. So that that will be fun. Uh, as long as we're uh, getting wrapped up, uh, do we have any are there? How about any Cold War uh, or sociological th- things about this episode that anybody wants to bring up? I know that's interesting because I hadn't thought about that before, but nothing you know popped into it, my head. But well, yeah, because I mean, it certainly could be a matter of uh, the the planet killer. Or I'm I'm sorry, I was I was thinking of the Doomsday Machine. <laughs> you got the uh, Doomsday on the brain. <laughs> yeah. Um. Look what I mean. Is it kind of a don't launch probes because they might come back and bite you in the ass someday? (laughs) (laughs) I Uh, I didn't see any over to Cold War stuff in this one. No, I can't think of any. Rob, you? No, I'm usually the one who who manages to uh, to uh, dig, dig some sort of Cold War analogy out of that episode, and I. I can't say that I do in either of these. In in either, yeah. Um, maybe I'll think of one, but so far it's not coming to mind. Okay. Well, if you guys are, are good, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Sounds good to me. Okay. 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 And again, thanks whoever is listening for this doubleheader Star Trek the original series, and we're going to get back on track. And I believe our next one will be a special episode. We're bringing back our, our, our friend Lee for a discussion of science fiction in movies and television. 
And I think that'll be a great, great chat. And, uh, and then we'll be back on Star Trek again so we can get further into Season 2. And again, thank you very much for listening, and good night. Night. <laughs>